Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. This past week, hundreds of people gathered at candlelight vigils in multiple Bay Area cities to support protesters in China. Uh, we were here tonight to support for the uh, protests in China for the white paper movement right now. Why couldn't I do this too? So this is, this is the most like motivation to bring me here because I need to speak for those who can't. These protests started after a fire broke out inside an apartment complex in China's Xinjiang province, killing at least 10 people. Many believe these deaths were because of China's strict zero-COVID lockdown, keeping the residents inside while preventing firefighters from saving more lives. And people in the Bay Area have organized, too. Despite the dangers and fear associated with speaking out against the Chinese government. It made me see hope that despite the control exerted by the government, people are still people and their voices cannot be oppressed. Today, we're talking with a college student who helped organize a candlelight vigil in San Jose, despite the dangers to herself and her family back in China. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. 
Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. We're keeping your name anonymous for this interview. I'm curious if you can explain just to listeners why that's important for you. Yeah, um, so I'm a university student who now study in the Bay Area. I was born and raised in China and came here to pursue higher education. As far as we know, the uh, Chinese secret police uh, have uh, people in different parts of the U.S. that monitor overseas Chinese activities. And if, for example, we go to a vigil and our photo is spotted and if it's entered into the Chinese system, which has our photo matched to our um, personal identification information, then there might be uh, consequences. We might get stopped in the custom and being targeted, uh, or our families back in China might uh, have police come to their home. I've heard different stories from uh, human rights activists, uh, whose families are back in China and who are overseas and just different people whose values don't align with the uh, Chinese Communist Party's values. Uh, so yeah, that's why I'm concerned uh, and want to remain uh, anonymous. When was the last time that you were in China to see family and what was that like? Um, I was home for... 2020 to 2021, uh, that was when COVID was kind of at its height. And uh, my school uh, was having virtual instruction, so I was home and just taking classes uh, for the most part uh, online. I think uh, I was in China at a time when in a uh, city, a location where the restrictions weren't so out of proportion. I was uh, I'm very grateful that I was able to visit places, hang out with friends, and create connections uh, in person when I was still back in China. But definitely, even then, um, kind of coming back from studying overseas for a couple of years, I already had pretty different views um, about Chinese politics, so there were some tension um, with my parents, (laughs) I guess, when we talk about COVID, when we talk about ethnic minority policies. Can you say more about that? What what views do you hold that are are different than that of your, your parents? Yeah, so they hold views that are a bit more ethnocentric. For example, they think that there's nothing wrong with the Chinese government making like Tibetans learn Mandarin and not allowing the same level uh, of autonomy when it comes to learning their own language. During the year I was uh, at home, I read this uh, article by Uyghur activists uh, but she is now living overseas. Her parents are in the concentration camp. But because my parents 
they like get information on WeChat, which paint a very different story, which paint the Uyghurs as separatists and never allow information like um, that article, that personal experience to see through uh, the Great Firewall. They kind of perceive anything coming from outside of the Great Firewall as like foreign influence with um, ill intention to subvert and divide quote-unquote Chinese people. It's very hard to even share uh, like, you know, the sources with them because they would doubt their validities. You were sort of alluding to this a little bit already. How has China's zero COVID policy affected you personally and your family uh, as someone living here in the Bay? So I guess most recently, Someone from my uh, dad's office tested positive. Even though it was like a office of 40 or 50 people, uh, my dad was uh, forced to go to hotel quarantine for five days and uh, quarantine for three days at home, even though he had been testing negative. And so did the rest of the, I think, 40 uh, or 50 people uh, in the same working space. I think my parents are uh, really fortunate because they work for a state-owned company. Um, so throughout the ongoing economic crisis in China, they are still financially secure. But I know a lot of people who uh, have restaurants, uh, retail stores, uh, they have been like hit really hard. China's zero-COVID policy has involved strict and often extreme measures, like restrictions on people's movements and mass testing, often without warning. Over the summer, the government put the city of Shanghai on lockdown for two whole months, restricting the city's 26 million people from even going outside for a walk. Sometimes these lockdowns last until no new positive cases are reported. And a lot of people have the double challenge of like not being able to go work because they're locked down. Uh, and I think just reading about those news is very painful. And knowing that I might not be able to go back uh, for some time in the future because of both the COVID policy and my immigration status, it just makes the pain um, very real. And I guess I don't know how to process that when I'm so far away. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to move on to the protests that started recently which was set off by a deadly fire in Xinjiang. Now, there was uh, an eruption of anger online in China after the deadly fire, with some people questioning whether pandemic restrictions prevented uh, people from escaping. Then these protests started to pop up. you know better than I do how dangerous that is to do. What went on in your mind when you saw that? 
I think I was really shocked. That was um, not something I was expecting. It made me see hope that despite the high pressure um, control exerted by the government, people are still people and their voices cannot be oppressed for such a long time. And I think it also helps me reclaim my Chinese identity. Mm. I think a lot of the times, um, especially in the past year, I've sort of distanced myself with the you know Chinese international student community because I feel like our political views don't necessarily align. And I definitely think that I felt some prejudice based on, you know, things I read online and made assumptions about whether or not people have will have courage to, you know, talk about things and to resist. But right now I sense that that momentum is there. And I really hope that as a Uyghur friend uh, said in a vigil last night, I do hope that, you know, these vigils are not just one-off events. It has to generate ongoing conversation. I mean, for you, at what point did you decide that you wanted to do something in person here in the Bay Area um, about what's happening in China? I really wanted to do something in person, like a protest. About a month ago, I really wanted to, you know, express myself, shout things out. Um, but I found myself without, you know, a community to lean back on, mm. a Chinese community that would do these things together with me. So I um, actually ended up like putting up posters around campus um, that day with the help of um, uh, my friends, some Chinese, some international, actually. Well, there were some friends from uh, the U.S., some friends from other countries who don't necessarily know everything um, about China, but nevertheless decided to help. There were a lot of people there, like two or three hundred. Oh, wow. Uh, We were in front of San Jose City Hall. At the beginning, as people were trickling in, we were kind of placing candles into the shape of November uh, 24th and Urumqi. And people uh, were also putting flowers and putting up signs. It felt like a very solemn environment. So the event was basically like altering between people sharing poems, their uh, feelings, experiences, and uh, singing songs together. And um, we also kind of uh, shouted slogans together. It was very spontaneous. Most people, it it was actually their first time both organizing it and uh, attending a rally like this. Was this actually your first time joining a protest like this as well? I've joined protests uh, at my university, making demands um, for the administration. But it was the first time for me to be with like Chinese folks, where we 
spoke Mandarin and spoke to each other. So kind of like the first time I'm like protest uh, like this. I mean, what do you hope happens next uh, for you here in the Bay Area, but also um, for your folks in China and, and others in China? I don't know what's going to happen in China. It seems like the Chinese police have been cracking down. I hope that the Chinese people back home can maybe use this as a starting point to really talk about things uh, with each other because it's so hard to create public forums. I think it's already very valuable to reflect on um, some of the self-censorship that have uh, been cultivated within us just by virtue of growing up in a, an education system that is curated in certain very specific ways by the uh, by the regime. For the um, folks in the Bay Area, the level of censorship uh, is much less uh, for us. And yes, there will be security risk in any sort of gathering, but I would really love to see small group discussions or teach-ins in university campuses or in other places. Because I think for many of uh, us who come from the mainland, we don't really know about the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre, and we might not know about the uh, suffering that ethnic minorities have, have had to endure. I really do hope that the connection, the warmth we felt in these gatherings in each other can continue and grow into a more sustained network or community that we can really lean back on the next time when something happens that we need uh, a, a unified voice to speak out about. Well, thank you so much for your time and also your bravery for um, joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to know how to support Uyghur people in China, the Xinjiang Victims Database is a human rights group that's been working on the ground to collect information on people forced into concentration camps in China. They're also putting pressure on officials to improve conditions at these camps. There are opportunities to donate or volunteer on their website, which we'll leave you a link to in our show notes. This 35-minute conversation was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Our senior editor is Alan Montecilio. He scored this episode. Thanks as well to KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez for the audio that you heard from a vigil in San Francisco at the beginning of this episode. The Bay is a production of KQED in San Francisco. Jen Chien is our director of podcasts. Cesar Saldana is our podcast engagement producer. And Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Hi, 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 